Welcome to episode 11 of Off the Cuff. I'm Matt Butler. I'm Darren Chohan. And we're joined here by a special guest, Michael Harrischuk. Thanks for coming on the show, Mike. Thanks a lot for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here. I just want to say you guys have been doing a tremendous job with this show. Keep up the good work. Appreciate At least we that. have one viewer, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah, that's good. Thanks, that's Mike. Good. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun with it. So, Mike, why don't you tell us a bit about your practice here at Weaver Simmons? I'm a criminal defense lawyer, and I've been practicing exclusively in criminal law for since my call to the bar. So I was called to the bar in 2005. So I've been practicing criminal law for 17 years now. I also practice quasi-criminal law, which deals with regulatory offenses as well. And that's representing individuals as well as corporations who may be charged with offenses. I didn't even know he did that. That's good stuff. Before we get into today's topics, how crazy would that soccer? If, if anybody missed it, Canada played Jamaica to get to the World Cup and they beat them for nothing. Now, Mike, you watched the game, or part of it at least. So uh, that, was, that was pretty nuts, right? It was a great game. I saw yeah. the last 10 minutes and uh, there was two goals in 10 minutes right at the end. Which is pretty it great. Was, it was exciting. And the celebration afterwards was great. Didn't they, somebody score on their own net? Yeah, there was an own goal, yeah. You don't see that very often either, well, right? No. Well, goals are already pretty scarce Scarce in soccer, yeah. so well, own goals are pretty fun too. Yeah. Well, it was minus five. It was minus yeah. five in Toronto today. Oh, man. Why are they playing soccer in minus five? I don't know. Well, we made it to the World Cup. We made it to the World Cup. So first time Great. since 1986, so that's yeah. pretty exciting. Awesome. Well, I'll be cheering. Yeah, of course. Now, again, before we get into more topics, I want to thank you, Darren, for, you know, it's your own show. But, you <laughs> you know, the last two episodes were very informative. You took, you know, from a motor vehicle accident up into trial. You know, you, you went through the steps. And I'll be honest, I, I learned a great deal. Um, and my discussion with people have viewed it after. They really enjoyed it. And I think it was very informative. So thanks for that. You're welcome. It was a pleasure being on my own show. Yeah, of course. It was a pleasure <laughs> being on your own show. I uh, would also like to congratulate Chelsea Borton uh, for winning our giveaway. We hope you had fun at the Wolves game. Um, she had won Wolves tickets, so congrats. Um, and to everybody, all our viewers and listeners, uh, please like, follow, and subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. And now, officially to introduce what we're going to be talking about today, since we've go. gone through all the fun stuff, yep. and now we got to get into the legal stuff. Let's go. I guess. Um we're going to talk to Mike about his role as a defense lawyer and what that means. And, you know, doing this show and getting all the questions that we get, uh, it comes up very often, you know, what do you do as a lawyer? Mm -hmm. You just sit around your office, like, you, what do you do? <laughs> so uh, Mike's going to take us through what, uh, what a defense lawyer does. He's going to talk to us a little bit about the timelines. And uh, what I'm really most interested about is because people ask me this uh, from time to time, you know, when you get arrested or when somebody gets arrested, what happens to them? You know, what do they do? Yeah. What should they say? And so I'm really excited to talk to Mike uh, about those those things. And so why don't we get into it? Uh, and first, we're going to talk about Mike's role as a defense lawyer. So, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do, what, what forms your day-to-day? -day? Yeah, so the, uh, the role of a defense lawyer is a very special role in our society. Um, we are the advocates for the defendant who appears in a court of law after being charged and with a criminal offense or an offense under provincial statute, but focusing on, on criminal law after being charged with a, with a criminal offense. So the role of the defense lawyer is to 
believe your clients or, or at least not to, to disbelieve your client with respect to your client's position and to fearlessly advocate on behalf of your client and to put forward every viable defense on your client's behalf. Um, so you're doing your best for your clients in, in often uh, pretty significant situations, depending on the seriousness of the charge. Um, but it's, it's your client's position that you're advocating, and um, it's what you're putting forward, not your own beliefs about the situation, but you're advocating for your clients. So when you say... Which what what interests me there is you had you had said viable defense. So what does that mean? Like when you say I'm putting forward a viable defense for my client, of course, there are defenses that are not viable. So what what is what does that mean for the average person that's just listening? In terms of the defenses you're putting forward for your clients, you you look at the charge and you look at what the crown needs to prove. And uh, sometimes, often, what's, your, what, what's happening is your client is just denying that they did anything wrong. So if your client's denying that they, they, they've committed the, the offense as charged, then essentially you're testing the evidence that's being brought forward by the prosecution. But then, for example, there could be other defenses that are at play. There's defenses in the criminal code. There's defenses at, at what we call common law, which is defenses that have developed over time. And, for example, if somebody's in a fight and somebody's charged with assault, somebody may be saying, look, I was defending myself. Mm. And uh, that may very well be a viable defense. But it depends on the circumstances. It depends on the facts. It, it it may not be. It may not be viable depending on the circumstances if you're in a situation where a person is in a fight defending themselves but puts the person on the ground somehow and then starts pummeling the person. That doesn't really seem like a viable defense at that particular juncture mm-hmm. absent some, some sort of other circumstances. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, I guess, goes back into the role of defense counsel. So when, right. you, when you get this, you know, this file in front of you, you have uh, an accused person who, of course, because of our charter, is innocent until proven guilty, right? Yes. It's a charter right that we have. Um, your role as defense counsel is to take a look at the evidence in conjunction with what your client is saying to you and then evaluate what defenses are open to you amongst you know the plethora of uh, avenues you can take for this particular set of facts yes that makes sense to me i like that now when when you have a client who's, who's coming into your office he's been charged or she's been charged um what is what kind of questions are you asking the client in your first initial meeting Usually in the first initial meeting, um, there's a general interview that I do with clients. I may or may not get into the aspects of the allegation with my client at the first initial meeting. 
I, I want to learn about my client's background. I want to learn about as much as I can about my client. Right. So I am asking a lot of personal questions during, during the first initial meeting. And then depending on the circumstances, we may or may, may not get into the allegations which bring my client before the criminal justice system. It, it really depends on, the, on a case-by-case basis as to whether or not we are going to talk about that right at the initial meeting, or if that is going to take place later on, once we get involved in the, the file as, and as the process unfolds. And so is it more, I think, from what I'm hearing from that is, is it fair to say that you meet with the client, you get their sort of demographic details, you find out who they are, what they're doing, what they've done, but is it fair to say you you know you have that meeting and if you decide to take the client on you want to wait until you you receive the disclosure and the evidence from the prosecution before you really get into the mechanics of the who what why when where of the allegations? Yeah, so people who are charged with criminal offenses they they have rights and they have specific rights and one of their rights is is a right to silence. Of course, telling your lawyer it's completely confidential and right. there's there's a recognized privilege solicitor client privilege your lawyer's not going to be divulging any information to anybody but it's important at times for the client to look at the disclosure look at what the prosecution is marshalling against your client review that disclosure before you have an in-depth discussion with your client because they may not know entirely what the allegations are. So uh, you get the disclosure, and what the disclosure entails is the entire police investigation. If there's any witness statements, those are contained in the initial disclosure package. Often police officers meet with witnesses and they conduct an audio-video interview. Okay. So in those circumstances, you'll get the audio-video interview. Client could come in, review the audio-video interview, and then uh, perhaps once they have a full understanding of what the allegations are against them, I find it's better most often to get the client's version of events at that particular juncture. But again, it depends on the circumstances. Some, right. some cases, are diff- cases are different than others. And when you're talking about privilege, of course, that means that anything I tell you as my lawyer, top secret essentially. Yes. But does that, if I tell you something, does that impact sometimes your viable defense theory? Depending on the case and depending on my client's version of events, yes, it could. Right. Because it's the crown's burden to prove with the evidence that the accused, your client, is guilty of the crime beyond a reasonable doubt. That is correct. What does that, quickly, what does that mean beyond a reasonable doubt? We've said it a few times tonight. So does does that have a specific meaning? The onus on the Crown is very high. It is a much higher onus than it would be at the, on a civil standard. Right. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt is far closer to a certainty than it would be on just a balance of probabilities, which is 50% plus one. Right. And I guess, you know, your question flows into what I wanted to know uh, and what our listeners probably are thinking right now. You know, if I'm arrested, 
can I be compelled to testify at that trial if, if it does get there? No, you cannot. It is the defendant's decision as to whether or not he or she will testify at their, at their trial. And that's grounded in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. That is correct, because they enjoy the right to silence. They can remain silent throughout the entire proceeding, and that includes the trial itself. It's really great to know. Yeah, it is good to know. So what we're going to do, because I have a burning question, so we're going to take a break and we're going to come back because we're going to ask you how you do it. So we're going to take a break and then we'll come back with uh, my burning question. This episode of Off the Cuff is brought to you by Weaver Simmons LLP, Northern Ontario's largest full-service law firm with over 30 lawyers and 60 support staff. For over 90 years, the law firm of Weaver Simmons has proudly served the interests of Northern Ontario residents and has built its reputation based on exceptional services to its clients. For more information about the firm, please visit www.weaversimmons.com. The link is provided in the description below. Welcome back. So we, we, left, we left off with my burning question, which is, how do you do it, Mike? How do you defend people who come into your office who have been accused of sometimes heinous crimes? When a person comes into the office, um, they could be charged with any number of things. And yes, there are persons that come into the office that are charged with some very, very serious offenses. And a belief in the system is, is number one. And that's the belief in the presumption of innocence. And you also have to understand that when a person comes in and they're seeking your help, you're defending that person. So you're not defending what they're charged with. And criminal defense lawyers, they don't defend charges, they defend people. Right. And that is, in fact, what you're doing when um, a person uh, comes into the office and they need your help. That's such a cool way of looking that's, at it. That's a great way to look, of looking at it because, like, especially the best examples are these high-profile sort of cases or these high-profile crimes where everybody, you know, attacks, you know, the, the not, not just counsel, but attacks the person say, oh, th- this person's guilty. And you're going, well, well hold on a second Well, it's, it's this whole guilty, like, you're in the guilty in the court of public opinion versus right. guilty in actual court and, right? and what you're doing is you're not de- you're not trying to defend someone's actions because sometimes they are accused of some real heinous things and you're not going i stand with that but you're you're defending the because there's, there's a real person involved and the stakes are sometimes incarceration for quite a bit of time Cor- like right yeah so there's <laughs> persons could be facing a significant jeopardy when they're charged with serious offenses and they're innocent, though, until proven guilty, until a court says otherwise. Again, it's the, the charter, right? That's a charter right that we as Canadians enjoy, that you're innocent until proven guilty. And that's why, you know, again, I'm in a little soapboxes, but one of the things that I really dislike is the court of public opinion. Yeah. Because as a lawyer, I'm, I think I'm more sensitive to it. And, you know... I'm sure you've defended cases where your clients have been in the news or, you know, you got the court, the reporter going into the courtroom, following your client around and doing a news story on them. And it's tough. It's tough to get around that. But people have, you you know, I always try to remind people when, when they're asking me these questions, you get them in, you know, get to gatherings and whatever people are asking about these things. 
No, you have to understand that this person, until that colloquial gavel comes down and that judgment is rendered, they are innocent. And I imagine that's, as a criminal defense lawyer, that's got to be one of like the pillars that you operate on on a daily basis because you have that has to be something that you truly believe in and that in that charter right you know you truly think that that is is an important aspect of our constitution yes and when thinking about the presumption of innocence when thinking about you're defending people you're not defending charges um, a person who said it best was edward greenspan the late edward greenspan and he wrote a book and it's called for the defense and he wrote it with an author, um, George Jonas. And this is what he speaks about. He speaks about the role of the defense lawyer. And this is part of the, the, the main role of the defense lawyer is recognizing the presumption of innocence, defending the person. And this is not something that defense lawyers have decided that they're going to do this is mm-hmm. something that society mm-hmm. has in fact um expects of us well and it's again i keep saying it but we have a charter right to counsel don't we we absolutely do and so uh you know using matt's favorite word it behooves it does behoove um it behooves us as lawyers to uphold that constitutional right to counsel and if we don't believe in that presumption of innocence then i think we're violating that you know that accused person's right to counsel in a way because we're not providing that service and it becomes an access to justice issue if we don't have enough defense lawyers doing that work and so i want to say thank you for doing the work that you do because i think it's an important and integral part of our society you're welcome (laughs) and (laughs) It's, uh, it's a great, rewarding area of the law to practice in. I bet, and, I, and it's probably one of the most legally interesting areas of law to practice in, I would say. Well, it's, it's, it's also an area of law that everybody thinks they know a bit about, because there's so many, there's countless TV shows about it, movies and everything. Um, and often, I, I get asked this question all the time, by, and I don't practice criminal law, and I, I will never purport to do so as well. It's just the the always like how do you look at a client and you just you have to assume presume that they're innocent when all the, there's all these these articles written about them. So how do you separate the two? You've you, so you, you've you've spoken about you're defending the person and not the crime, but surely sometimes you know you read the articles and it, it must you know it, it must sometimes. I, I know for me, I, I read an article like oh that's pretty bad. So how do you separate the two between the person and and what they're accused of? It's a situation where when you're placed in the role of defending somebody who's charged with a criminal offense, uh, that is your job. So you have your own personal beliefs, but that's not relevant. Right. What's relevant is defending that person who needs your help. They're charged with an offense, and they need defense representation. So the focus is on doing your job, and doing that job is you want to do it without clouding the situation. You want to look at it objectively, and you want the, you're, be, you're placing yourself into your client's shoes to believe your client's position. Right. And 
as okay, at least believe in it, right? Like to that's to, right. You have to you have to become it almost. I would think to, yes to be able to do the job. You you believe you have to believe your clients at least not disbelieve your clients in order to um, properly mm-hmm. present their case. Right. And it goes back to your defending the person, not the charges. And exactly. I, and uh, when I, I hear that, and, and I love that, because I think even we get caught up in, like, you know, how do you def- But you're defending a, a person, a real person, who's facing mm-hmm. serious consequences, potentially. So you're not, you're not trying to defend what they've done or what they're accused of doing, but you are defending, you know, the right to freedom, mm-hmm. because essentially you are presumed innocent. We, we yeah. keep coming back to that. So thanks for shedding light on that, Mike. That really, I think that was that was great. And I think that's helpful to prospective law students who might be watching this too. Is you know, I know as a young law student, I was always, you know, enamored by criminal law, and it's fascinating. It's fascinating, yeah, because a lot of the cases in school you read about it, it the the good ones are the criminal ones. Yeah, they always <laughs> were really yeah. good cases. Great cases come out of criminal law. The moots in law school, most of them are of them based are criminal, on criminal exactly, cases. I think exactly. all my moots were criminal cases. Yeah, and so I think for prospective law students, hearing you share that information as a senior lawyer and you know, you're know doing this for a very long time and very good at your job, it's really nice to hear and share that with, with our listeners. So it's, you know, it's, it's been, um, been great. Yep. And now, yep. the most exciting part of this episode, what I want to know... Mm-hmm. He's been arrested for something. Like, not for real, though? Like, <laughs> just like, hey, we're joking. Yeah, right. <laughs> Where are we? Don't know. But he's been arrested, and, like, mechanically, like, what does he do? Like, what yeah. is your, what, you know, as the role defense officer, what happens? Yeah, What's so, number one, so the police have come, and they've, in this example, have, have arrested uh, Matt, and <laughs> so... Th- Based on the fact that they have arrested Matt, it's a situation where they have reasonable grounds, or at least they should have reasonable grounds, in order to lay, lay a charge, whatever the charge may be, against Matt. So once that happens, Matt is detained. He's he's not allowed to to leave. Um, he's 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 detained by the police at that particular juncture. And what he will be advised is that he'll be advised of the charge, and he will also be advised that he has a right to call a lawyer. Mm-hmm. If he can't afford a lawyer, then he, then he can um, elect to call uh, duty counsel. And he'll be placed in touch with a lawyer. And I would certainly recommend to whoever is being charged to certainly call a lawyer in, that, in those circumstances in order to obtain advice. Now, depending on the investigation, what may follow from there is a situation where the police may, in fact, want to obtain a statement from Matt and get his version of events as to what happened. Now, advice that is given, I would say probably all the time under those circumstances, is to not provide a statement to the police at that particular juncture. Is You want to exercise your right to silence and not provide a statement to the police. It's a circumstance where the police may put you in an interview room and they may pepper you with questions, but you just want to maintain your right to silence and not answer those questions. And sometimes it's very difficult, I think, in those circumstances. And, you know, we've all seen police TV and law shows on mm-hmm. TV, but in real life... The police do actually will try to get that statement out of you. 
And so I think it's important from what I'm hearing from you is to just shut that down, try to call duty counsel if you need to, or if you do have a lawyer on retainer or no lawyer. Or you'll be provided with a list of lawyers depending on the, right. the jurisdiction where you live in, but many police stations will in fact provide a list of, of lawyers for you to choose a lawyer in order to, in order to call. So there are resources and you, there's phone books available right. and things of that nature in order to get in touch with a lawyer. But if I, if I want to give a statement, can I give a statement? I'm being arrested. I want to defend myself. Would you advise that? You can, but it's, it's not advisable at that particular juncture. Okay. Like obviously, it's, it's up to you if, you, mm -hmm. if you want to do that. But let's say, for example, you had nothing to do with what you're being alleged of doing. You're, you'll have an opportunity to defend yourself in a court of law. Right. If you speak about what happened at the police station... It's a, you know, it's, it's a, it could be a very traumatic situation being mm -hmm. charged mm -hmm. and then being placed in an interview room and then having to speak to the police. It's better to wait, consult with a lawyer, and then you'll have your opportunity to speak. It is your right and your right alone. If you wish to testify, your lawyer will provide you with advice on that as well. But you'll have your opportunity to speak in court. You want to save it for there because you do not want there to be any inconsistencies. And these may be unwitting inconsistencies or they may be inconsistencies mm -hmm. on something peripheral. Mm -hmm. But you want to avoid that at all costs. And the best way to do that is to stay silent. That The best right? way to do that is, is to stay silent, get all the information you can through the criminal process when you have an opportunity to obtain disclosure and then you'll have your opportunity when the time comes uh, to speak if, it, if it's required. Right. Well, then, in the event I do get arrested, which has never happened, by the way, <laughs> I will take the advice of counsel and remain silent. Um, and then what happens next? So you say he's been detained. Um, you know, the listeners and viewers probably are thinking, okay, now I've heard these terms like bail court or does that person get to go home after they're arrested? Uh, I know you'll probably tell me it depends on the circumstances, but um, if you're arrested and charged, uh, what are the couple things that could happen to you? Like, do, would you get to go home or are you stuck at jail until you have a hearing to, you know, to get assigned some bail or? Yeah, it, again, of course, like, like many answers, it depends on the circumstances, uh, but uh, one of two things can happen. You could be released from the police station. Mm-hmm. Or if, if you're um, being arrested at the roadside and charged, you could be re released right at the roadside. Um, and you'll be given, if you're released from the police station, you will be given a promise to appear in court. Okay. It may also contain some conditions that you need to follow. Right. Okay. Or the police could hold you and bring you for a bail hearing. Okay. And you have to be presented before a justice of the peace in bail court within 24 hours. Oh, wow. Is that, a, is that in the criminal code or is that a... Yes, okay. that is. It, it needs to be within 24 hours for them to bring you before the, the justice of the peace in order to be dealt with. Okay. And then you'll have an opportunity for a bail hearing. 
um, if you're brought to bail court. And you could be released on what we call consent, which means that the prosecutor agrees to release you, Mm -hmm. or the prosecutor may not agree to release you. And if that's the situation, then there will be what's called a contested bail hearing, where your, your lawyer... Or duty counsel, There's, there, there will always be a lawyer there if you want one, who will in fact um, advocate for you to be released on bail with reasonable conditions. And here's a question I've always had uh, before we go to break. I think uh, I've this is an important question. Bail. You know, I, I think that bails, you know, if bail set at 10 grand, does that $10,000 have to be paid into court before you get to go home? It could be, but most of the time it's not. Normally what happens is that there is a non-deposit pledge of a certain amount of money. And then if there's a breach, you may owe that money to the court. I see. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. So there's an estreatment hearing. It's called an estreatment hearing. It's in the Superior Court of Justice where you appear in court and then there's a determination of if you're going to owe that money to the court or perhaps if it's not all of the money, what portion of the money will be owed, if anything at all, depending on the severity of the breach. And when I say breach is, is a breach of the release conditions right. that form part of the bail order. I have learned something new tonight. I didn't know that. Because this is why we do these things, you know. We get to see our colleagues in action and they teach us things. So that's great. Yeah, I didn't um, know anything about that. And that was awesome. now... After the break, we can get into, I'm sure, another burning question of our viewers and listeners is how long can you expect this all to take? Yeah. And so why don't we take a break now? We'll hear from our sponsor and we'll get right back into it afterwards. This episode of Off the Cuff is brought to you by Weaver Simmons LLP, Northern Ontario's largest full service law firm with over 30 lawyers and 60 support staff. For over 90 years, the law firm of Weaver Simmons has proudly served the interests of Northern Ontario residents and has built its reputation based on exceptional services to its clients. For more information about the firm, please visit www.weaversimmons.com. The link is provided in the description below. Welcome back, Mike. So we now want to get our listeners and viewers to know how long does this stuff take? And so what can you, can you give us like a, a quick, you know, other than it depends on the circumstances answer of how long can one expect to take from maybe arrest to either a trial or a resolution? Yeah. So it depends on the circumstances. And what I mean by that is how the crown proceeds. If they proceed by summary conviction, which is reserved for um, less serious charges uh, you're in the Ontario Court of Justice and the timeline is if it's going to trial would be anywhere between I would say 12 to 18 months okay. Okay. Um, if it's going to be a resolution without a trial it's going to be less than that okay. most likely good um, if it's a situation and a charge that's more serious and the Crown's proceeding by indictment, which is a process where more serious charges are prosecuted, then if it's going to trial, it could be anywhere in the range of two to perhaps even three years before the matter will reach 
trial. Um, that's currently, I would say, where things are at. And again, if it's going to resolve without a trial, it'll be, it'll be less than that. Three years, that's quite a bit of time. So to that, to that question, to what extent are you willing to go as defense counsel to successfully defend your client? So we have to remember that all of us sitting here are officers of the court. Right. We have, a, as a defense lawyer, I have a duty to my client, but I also have a duty to the court. So we have to work within the rules. We are not there to mislead the court, and defense lawyers do not do that. And uh, we're fearlessly defending our clients, but we don't do it at all costs. We have to abide by the rules. And um, we're there to do our job, to defend our client to the best, best of our abilities and to uh, do our best for a successful outcome. But it's, it's, not, it's not a situation where we cross the line. Right, and I think that is where it becomes important for people to know that, and I've said it before, you know, we as lawyers are not magicians. No. Nope. And sometimes a certain set of facts is a certain set of facts, and there's not much you can do to fix those facts, but our jobs as defense lawyers, and, you know, we're, we do yep. civil and family work, to the best of our abilities to uh, at least mitigate the situation if it's not completely fixable, but within those parameters of the rules of professional conduct, mm. within you know our own code of ethics, your internal code of ethics, and also um, you know the general uh, duty as an officer of the court to present the facts as you see them to be, and not outside the parameters of misleading the court. Right, and we have to be you know. Oftentimes, we zealously advocate our client's position, and we have to represent our clients. But again, within the rules of the professional conduct, we're not going there and just lying to the court. You know, in just simply, we're not just lying in court. We are there to represent our clients, but we have a duty to the administration of justice to make sure that we are not misleading the right. court by presenting, whether it be not just in false evidence, but not tr not trickery, not using. Tr we are just there to present the case. Right. And then zealously advocate our client's position. Which is clients, if clients ever said something where they wanted to bring forward facts that were untrue, then it's a quick discussion where right. it's no. And you explain to the client specifically that, no, we, we are not here to mislead. We are here to defend the case within the... Right four corners of the case yeah. and um, it's 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 not a, a situation where we are going to ever uh, lie to the court right it's a serious obligation we you know by being called to the bar and accepting that responsibility that's a responsibility that we carry forward so um, that's a you know it's important for people to know that I think that that's a common misconception it's one of our it's one of our greatest responsibilities yeah. as counsel yeah and, you know, thanks for sharing that with us. It's, it's always good to see, you know, the other side of the coin and where, where other, what other lawyers have to deal with, you know, other than what, you know, in our world to yeah. see what you go through. And it must be challenging sometimes. Um, 
to, you know, when you're put in those circumstances. So, so Mike, we'd like to thank you for joining us. Uh, it was very informative. Um, it was, it, it learned a great deal and, you know, criminal law is one of those things that, at, at, again, most people think they know something about it. People are g- genuinely interested in it. So thank you for, you know, taking some of your time to discuss that with us tonight. Yeah, I'm sure our viewers and listeners appreciated it. So, Thanks a lot for having me. It was a lot of fun. Good stuff. Great. And so now to you guys, we want to thank you for coming along this ride this season. Uh, we're slated our next episode to be our season finale, Matt. We did it. We did it. One season in the books. Good stuff. And uh, we want you guys to tune in. Make sure you check that out uh, when it comes out. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you guys soon. I'm Darren Chohan. I'm Matt Butler. See you next time. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe wherever you guys get your podcasts. Listen, do what you gotta do to keep us real, okay? The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Weaver Simmons. The contents of this podcast are strictly for informational purposes and not to be construed in any way as legal advice. If you have an issue that you believe requires legal advice, we suggest you contact a lawyer. And if you do not have the financial means to do so, contact Legal Aid Ontario or the Law Society of Ontario. The links are provided in the description below.